Well, a morning like this would be incomplete if we did not turn our attention to the Word of God. There are Bibles in the back of the seat in front of you. They're red-colored, kind of maroon. Take one, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you on your own, and turn to Psalm 46, the 46th Psalm. In that Bible, you'll find it on page 471. It begins there. Psalm 46 was Martin Luther's, the great reformer of the 1500s, Martin Luther's favorite hymn, uh, favorite psalm. It's the psalm that inspired him to write his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He loved it so much, you know, he lived in perilous times and there were people that were out to kill him and his compatriots. It was a rough and tumultuous era that he lived through. And when when his enemies uh, threatened him especially greatly, he was known to say to those around him, Come, let us sing Psalm 46 and let them do their worst. Psalm 46 was special to him. I want to read it. It's very short. I want to read it. And I want to make some quick observations that will help us kind of uh, uh, think about what it's saying. And then I want to show us three ways that this psalm can be applied to our lives today. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Three quick observations to help us understand and and kind of catch the flow of what's being said in this psalm. First of all, you see there's an imagery here of unrest. Unrest and uncertainty and even danger. It starts off in the first stanza. That first stanza is verses 1, 2, and 3. Even in the realm of nature, there seems to be unrest and danger. Look, the earth, it says, is giving way. The mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. The waters roar and foam. The mountains tremble. In the realm of nature, he's using this in a sense poetically. Look, look, Look at the danger. Look at the unrest. Then in the second stanza... I would call it political kind of unrest. Look down there in verse 6. It says, the nations, the nations rage, the, the kingdoms totter. There's uncertainty in the nations of the world. And then thirdly, in the third stanza, it's militarily. The military realm is looked at. And that's actually, the verse 9 is what kind of attracted me to this psalm for today. 
He makes the wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In the realm of nature, in the realm of politics, in the realm of the military, there's unrest and uncertainty and danger. And no, this psalm was not written after watching CNN. It does sound a little familiar, doesn't it? This was written at least 2,500 years ago. We're not quite sure. Uh, This isn't one of the ones written by David, so we're not quite sure when, but at least that many years ago. But it sure sounds like the writer of the psalm was watching our news today. All this unrest and uncertainty and even danger. The second observation I want to make is that there's no specific locality in mind in this psalm. Uh, Some think that it it was inspired by someone living up in the north of Israel in Dan. You remember the the promised land, as it was called, uh, was divided up between the 12 tribes of Israel and one of the tribes was the tribe of Dan. And they had the farthest north Uh, territory which originally went all the way to the Mediterranean Sea and it was up at the very very top and in Dan there by the sea you can see that today there are cliffs that are right up against the Mediterranean and the waves pound against those cliffs and every once in a while it looks like it's because of the waves attacking the cliffs a big piece of the cliff breaks off and it's a mountain falls in to the heart of the sea and the waters roar and foam and and so people look at this first stanza and say wow this looks like up there in Dan and not only that in verse 4 it says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God and there's a city of Dan in Dan where there's a river that runs right through the city and makes it a pleasant place to be But others say, oh, no, no, it couldn't be that. It's got to be Jerusalem because in verse 4 it says there's a river who makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. That sounds like Jerusalem. And uh, some would say, well, okay, except Jerusalem has been famous since its very beginning for being dry and water's a problem. There's There's no river running through Jerusalem. And there's nothing conclusive here or final about a particular locality that this psalm is referring to. And that's important. Why is it important? Because that means that we can look for a meaning here that transcends location. The meaning of Psalm 46 for you and for me is truly for you and for me. It is not tied to some other place. So, that's our second observation. Thirdly, and this is really important, there's a refrain. There's a refrain in this psalm. You see it in verse 7. After, after the, uh, the, second, um, the second stanza, it's there in verse 7. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then look at verse 11. At the end of the third stanza, it's the same lines. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And it wasn't needed in the first stanza because verse 1, although it has different words, it's saying the same thing. It's saying God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. There's a refrain. And this refrain tells us the theme The main point of this little psalm is saying that God 
is our fortress. He is with us. He will protect us. But notice, take, just look at verse 7 as an example. Notice that there's two names of God used in that one short verse. Two titles of God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts, that's referring to the hosts of mighty angels, the myriads of myriads, the ten thousands upon ten thousands of spiritual beings of great power, any one of which, if you or I, if the veil was lifted and we would see one of them, we would fall flat on our face. And yet God is the God of the hosts. It speaks of his overwhelming might, the overwhelming might of God. And then there's the God of Jacob. And that speaks of the grace of God. You remember Jacob? Jacob and his brother Esau. God chose Jacob to be the conduit of his promises. That all that he promised about the coming Messiah, Savior, King was going to go through Jacob and not Esau. And there was nothing about Jacob that would have made God want to choose him over his brother. First of all, the choice was made before they were born. So Jacob didn't earn this from God. He just received it. And then after they were both born and lived and we read their story, we see that, excuse my, my uh, uh, rather abrupt language here, but they were both jerks. Both of them. So the point is that Jacob, Jacob did not earn this, uh, this choice of God. Jacob did not earn by his accomplishments God's favor on his life. God did it because he's a God of grace. So we have the Lord of hosts, which is God the powerful. And we have God, uh, the God of Jacob, which is the personal God, the personal God. And in that God, there is safety. In that God, there is safety. I brought a frog along with me. <clears throat> so in this refrain, we see that, that we have the, the powerful, personal God of grace. He's our refuge. That's where we find our security and safety. Now, how can we apply this to our lives today in America in 2017? I, I think there are three applications. There's more than that, but I want to show you three. Number one, we want to be a part of the us. Look again at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. Well, who's the us? Who's the us? On the surface, of course, uh, on the surface, it would be the Hebrew people, the covenant people of God in that time. But in the way it's written, it's very clear that some people are in this fortress and other people are outside the fortress. This is not a universal us that stands for everybody on the earth. Not at all. Some are in and some are out. Well, what about for us now? Who's, who's the us? Like I said, it was the Hebrew people, the people of God's promise. But we even know that when God chose Abraham and decided to use him to bring about blessing on all people, it was indeed for all people. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God said to Abraham, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
My plan for you, Abraham, God was saying, was that I'm going to do something special through you and your descendants. But in your descendants, I'm going to bring the Savior, Messiah, King. And that blessing then will go to everyone. It's not just for you and your descendants. The Apostle Peter picked up on this later. And when he wrote his first epistle in 1 Peter chapter 2, he said this. He says, as you, and he's speaking to people who are not Jews now, not Hebrews. He says, as you come to him, Jesus Christ, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So the way it applies to us now is this, that that promised one that God talked to Abraham about, who came through Abraham's descendant, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not Esau, David, eventually, here comes Jesus of Nazareth. That one was the, was the center of God's plan. And then, and then the psalmist is saying, and Peter is saying, that all who come to him, you're now part of the us. Amen? You're now part of the us if you go to him. The us today are those who have come, as Peter said, come to Jesus Christ. If you've come to Jesus Christ, the Lord is with you. God is your fortress. If not, then not. It has nothing to do with the nation you are a citizen of, but of whether or not you have believed in Christ. I'm going to... uh, can I use that chair? Sure. You have to be part of the choir. Oh, they said I had to be part of the choir. You don't want that. <laughs> some of you, some of you have seen this before, but I think there's a great there's a great confusion in many people's minds about what it means to believe in Christ, what it means to come to Christ. Uh, and I want to use this chair as, uh, to try to explain. And I myself was confused about this for years. But when the, the light went on, my life changed. Some people, uh, let's say you stand on this, next to this chair and you say, yeah, that looks like a good chair. I believe in this chair. I believe it will hold me. I got confidence in this chair. I, I'm good. It's good. And yet you haven't sat in it. You're not actually sitting in it. You're standing next to it talking about how trustworthy it is. You haven't yet believed in that chair in the way that the Bible talks about believing when it mentions believing in Jesus Christ. Many people will look at Jesus Christ and they'll say, yeah, okay, I I actually even believe that he was born of a virgin because he's God, he existed as God, and he became flesh. I believe that. And I believe that he lived a sinless life. I agree with that. And I believe that when he went to the cross, what he was doing was he was taking the punishment from from the courtroom of heaven that I deserved because of my disobedience to God. That punishment went on Christ. And he died. And I believe he rose from the dead. And that there's forgiveness of sins in him. And yep, I do. I believe. I believe all that about Jesus. But I'm standing next to him. I have not yet personally trusted in Jesus Christ. I lived my life for a long time agreeing. See, we think often that the word believe means to uh, mentally agree with the facts. Well, you have to mentally agree with the facts, but there's something else that follows. You've got to 
trust him personally. Trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he, he sweeps you up. You're born again and you're reconciled to God. And you are then part of the us. Amen? Amen. Friends, have you come to Christ? Have you trusted in the Savior, Messiah, King, that even Psalm 46 was foreseen? Second way this psalm applies to us. Look, we need to look to the personal and powerful God for daily protection and strength. This psalm here, Psalm 46, is an expression of praise. It's talking that it's extolling God because he is indeed our refuge. But it's also an exhortation to us to trust him. I can trust God initially. I can make that initial uh, expression of trust in Jesus Christ where I trust in him and begin to experience reconciliation with God. And then as the days and weeks and months and years go by, I slip backwards and I start ignoring him as I go through the troubles of every day. But I daily need to remind myself to lean on him for help. Here in this psalm, verse 4 is great. In the first stanza, the image of water was all, that was the danger and the tumult. In the second stanza, it switches and water is the good thing. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Friends, we've got to live next to the stream. And for, for many Christians, we go to God in some way initially and then we live as functional atheists. Don't be a functional atheist. Live next to the stream. Drink it up every day. Jesus said, uh, it says in John 7, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Friends, we got to go to Jesus and drink every day. Amen? Every day for all of our needs. Someone tries to make fun of people of faith. Christian said, ah, says you just need God as a crutch. I said, I don't need a crutch. I need a whole new leg. I'll admit that. I need every transplant Christ will give me. Because he's Christ and I'm, I'm the weak one. He's the strong one. I'm going to live next to the stream. And then lastly, what does Psalm 46 say to us? It says that we should work and pray to see Jesus Christ exalted worldwide. Look at verse 9 and 10. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then, and then in verse 10, it's God speaking. Be still. One translation writes it. Stop and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It will be him and him alone who is exalted. No one else will be exalted worldwide. No nation will be exalted worldwide. I want to say something, and I'm going to say it with, with, with all of my heart. And those of you who know me, know me. 
So I'm going to preface what I say with this. I've got the blood of patriots running through my veins. If you could compress the generations, I have a first cousin who died in the last battle of the Revolutionary War. And from that first cousin in the Revolutionary War, I have a son who today is deployed overseas in the global war of terror, on terror. And everywhere on my family line, my family tree, I can go from the Revolutionary War all the way down to today. And I see names of men and women who have served in our armed forces, some of whom died. I appreciate my country. I love my country. But I will not exalt my country. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on this earth. Oh, my friends, if you've met Jesus Christ personally, you, your heart should be resounding with a, a loud amen. If not spoken, you're feeling it. There can be no jealousy about this except a jealousy that Jesus Christ be exalted. The Apostle Paul, after talking about how he left heaven and became one of us and then went to the cross and died for us, he said, therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every, every, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let us work and pray to see Jesus Christ exalted worldwide. Let's pray. Our Father, we love and praise you and give you, give you our, our love. And we confess in our, own, in our own hearts, we just say, Oh Lord, yes, Lord. You're the one who deserves to be glorified. You're the one who deserves to be exalted. We do acknowledge the great blessing it is to be living in this country. Amazing. We're not worthy of it, Lord. It's, it's just amazing. But we pray, O oh Father, and just say with the psalmist that you are our refuge and our strength. You are our very present help in trouble. And Lord, help us to live by the stream. And help us, O oh Lord. Help us, Lord, we pray, to do what we can to see your name exalted, not only here, but around the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.